All right, guys, this is the big one on the Boulevard Edition here of Stacking Pennies. We're going to talk about Ross Chastain's big win with a road course car. Or was it a Speedway car that won the road course? I don't know. We're going to get into it. We're also going to get into it with my good friend Jeffrey Earnhardt on his runner-up finish this weekend at Talladega. Just felt right. We're also heading to the Monster Mile. We're going to break down some of that. And we got Spare Change Bonus Edition coming up this weekend talking about Darlington throwbacks. Stick around. This is Stacking Pennies. Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're out here stacking pennies. All right, guys, I'm Corey LaJoy, and this is Stacking Pennies, joined by some good friends of mine, Mr. Chuck Bush to my right. Hello. We're in the studios here with also Pit Road Boats and Woes analyst, front tire changer of Austin Cindric's Ford Mustang, Ryan Flores. Yo. And we missed you last week. I didn't listen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Old Jonathan, uh, we missed you. And Jonathan, Ice Cold Blue Mountain takes Merriman is back with us in studio this week. It is glad to have you. I know I give you crap, but oh, it's good to be here. You know, not somebody's got to be wrong on the show. Yeah, yeah. Last I, week it was me. I embrace it. Yeah. <clears throat> and now you're back. Stick for some ice cold Dover takes, as well as some potentially uh, some bad Taldega takes. Maybe we'll see. Like a wise man once said, you don't bury the lead. So I just wanted to tell you guys my favorite story over the course of the week. There was many because the fans showed up in droves to Talladega. Uh, but my penny stacker of the week usually plays at the end. But I wanted to start with it because it was one of my favorite moments of the entire weekend. It didn't have anything to do with racing. So uh, I've bring, been bringing my motor, uh, my mountain bike to the racetrack the last couple of weeks. And there's some killer trails in Talladega. So I was going to ride on Saturday after qualifying with some Stuart Haas guys. <clears throat> so I get there about a half hour before all those guys got out of the garage clothes. So I get my stuff on, get my sunglasses and helmet on, and I'm cruising around the parking lot. And there's about 10 cars in the parking lot, and there's a father and son from on the other side, and they're pumping the tires up, and their bike's just getting ready. And I could tell. Um, so the dad was pretty in shape, but he didn't have, from elbow down, didn't have an arm. He had like this carbon fiber sleeve on, right? He was pretty in shape, so I figured he was in, in the military. Uh, and then the kid was about 18, right? So I'm cruising on the parking lot. I stop in, and he had this apparatus on his arm. He plugged it on. It was like a hip socket. So like on his arm was like a ball, and it was a, he plugged it into his handlebars, and he had all the gear shifts and br brake lever on the right side handlebars. So we just got to talking about that because it was a cool piece of fabrication, right? One thing leads to another. I asked, we'll ask them where they're from. We're from Destin, Florida. Drove up. This is the last. Uh, this is the last father-son trip we're going to take before his kid goes off. Timothy before he goes off to App State. I'm like, what are you in town for? We're in town for the NASCAR race. So I ask Ken, the, the old man. So who's your guy? Well, I don't really. Watch, I don't really watch racing so much. Uh, but my kid's super into it. And his kid was on the other side of the car. He's pumping his tires up, and he like, kind of peeks his head around. I'm like, who's your guy? He's like. Newman was my guy, and, you know, kind of like Blaney. I, you know, I like a couple guys, but I, don't really, I haven't really found one yet. I said, what about the guy that drives a seven car? And he was like, I knew you were Corey LaJoy. I knew it. I just didn't want to nerd out and geek out and, and ask if you were Corey. So I'm like, so we, we talked for a couple more minutes, and I asked, like, hey, where are you guys sitting? Oh, we're in Allison Grandstands, Road 3rd. I'm like, no, you're not. Like, give me your cell phone numbers. You guys are coming in into the garage and pit area with us. Um, so Ken Dwyer. I Google him just like anybody else does when you meet somebody anymore. Uh, my man was on tour four times, lost his left eye, 
and his left arm for our country. So it was it was super cool to have him and his kid, uh, Tim, at the racetrack. So they are my penny stackers of the week. And that, in addition to a couple other elements of fans, there was a, a fan, a couple fans over the course of the weekend. I posted one on Instagram. They had a court, uh, three people had LaJoy shirt, like L-A-J-O-I-E on their shirt. I don't know if you saw that, Chuck. Uh, but like stuff like that makes me really remember what I'm doing it, why like I engage with the fans, why I do the podcast because people recognize me from that. Like whatever it is, like I'm grinding at this and competitively I'm not where I want to be yet, but fans show their support. And for me to be able to do stuff like that for Ken and Tim on a weekend uh, was super cool. So uh, I wanted to leave with that story because that was my favorite moment of the weekend on top of even having a great day somewhat spoiled at the end, but wasn't meant to be. But uh, a lot of good stuff. And also whose run was not spoiled, rather, was Ross Chastain's. Big winner for this weekend. Who'd have thunk it? Ross Chastain, two-time winner. Just stayed in line. Yeah, didn't move the steering wheel. Just, thanks. The seas parted. Yes, they did. Love to see it. Man, Trackhouse is on a roll this year, my friend. But you also got to be in position. Got to be in position. I think my biggest, like, takeaway from all, not really takeaway, but the thing that, like, the biggest stat that I heard was the fact that that was the Coda car. Like that one yeah. to me, like I know that was sort of the idea behind this generation of the car that you can have those front and rear clips and you can keep the greenhouse and then make some adjustments. And it's roughly the same car, but the fact that that's the transition. I believe they call that proof of concept, Charles. Yeah. I mean, so you're the, were or used to be the aero guy over at Stuart Haas and Roush. Like how different was the previous Speedway car? to a road course car. Oh, I was like, everything was different, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Like before the COT cars, it was different clips and you had everything like battery boxes were in different locations. Everything under the body was not, let alone the, what you see, right. What was underneath Oil it was tank, even headers, yeah. exhaust pipes. I spent a whole six months building speedway exhaust pipes one time. So let's just, just take a guesstimation. If you would have taken your Watkins Glen car and qualified it, at Talladega, how much slower would it have been than a purpose-built speedway car? It, if you have an ECR motor, you might be okay, but it's quite a bit slower. And, and like a second, uh, probably, uh, probably, because the a road course. Oh, car a is body all build, a body build for sure. Yes, yes. by, by position for sure. By position on the track, say your Talladega car qualifies first, your Watkins Glen car dead first. last, it, it's, dead last, yeah, definitely yeah. back there. Yeah, in dead the last. in the thirties. High thirties. It's crazy. They uh they walked me through the SHR shop one time, like, hey, keep your phone in your car, whatever. And the amount of time they told me that those chassis and the underside of those cars would spend like mm-hmm. in the body shop, smoothing yeah. painting is nuts. Dude, they would bondo the underside of the car, frame rail edges and oil oil lines. How like, long how long would a speedway car spend like that car that Ross won Coda with four weeks later won Talladega? Yeah, would a like chassis, that. would a bare chassis be through that body process in no, four weeks? No. I mean, it'd be th- maybe through the body process, but like that dude, just think about the amount of time that they used to run on underbody CFD. That's just a wind tunnel on your computer. Like the time that we would spend on that and then in the tunnel working on stuff. And, and you got guys like, especially at Storehouse when Tony Gibson's group was with the 39 or the 41, like those guys were the old DEI guys and they, they would do stuff that like they, they're old tricks and they would always out qualify us when I was on the 14. They would, they were like, they had stuff that we didn't know about and they like, they're like the good old boys and kept it to themselves. And that's, you know, hell that's damn near gone now. 
you know that but it but how much better is our sport for it really we were a victim of ourselves when you're building those cars and spending that much time on them and then you flip them down the backstretch right or you peel off a right front fender and it runs the same in the in the pack it's all about single lap speed but you mentioned all the little parts and pieces it, the weekend started off a little bit comical because Bob Parker's there was a lot of chatter about umbrellas in the tech line. And here's the thing. As ridiculous as it looks, it's also equally as ridiculous that it works. Because now the bodies aren't made of carbon fiber nose and tail and steel panels. They legitimately are like a Kevlar carbon piece. So when the sun hits it, they will shrink and stretch accordingly. And when the teams are bringing their very best maximizing it or ambient temperature at the shop, I think Brad had a tweet on this week like, those guys are setting it up. They're maximizing the roof height, deck lid height, spoiler height, door in and out, at ambient temperature. And then you go outside and it's 82, 83, and the body's going to stretch or shrink in certain areas, probably stretch. And now the whole thing is showing, is it red when it's out too much? Yeah. So those guys legitimately had umbrellas on the spaces that they were worried about passing inspection. Um, and that's also something you're going to have to, I mean, that's, that's a tough window to hit when you're talking a hundred thousands. To me that like that opens that door in a sense of where you're, where you can gain that little bit of advantage. Cause if somebody figures out, all right, if I fab this, if I put this here and am I accounting for that sun at this track? Like, is there an advantage you can gain in that? So the, We've always made downforce with the with what you see, with where the stickers are, with the windows. Now the downforce is made underneath the car. Uh, never would I have thought that getting your rear getting your rear end down as far as it'll go to get your diffuser and get your nose in the air. We always had nose down, ass up, get the spoiler, get the blade in the air, like a hound dog. Yeah, but now your most of your downforces come from the diffuser. So you see like Tyler Reddick hauling ass or, or, you know, these Chevys hauling ass with his nose in the air and the back down sealing that thing off. So it's not a new thing that going through tech, your rear windows would always swell, especially Daytona in July when it was really hot. And, and it's not like, yes, it was a tough issue this weekend, but it's something that we could fix by leaving the, leaving the cars in the garage until it's time to roll through because it's direct sunlight. Yeah. And it's the same thing if you go out and you have a black pickup truck and you touch your car, you know, in the Charlotte heat in the, in the middle of the summer, it's going to be hot. And that, that stuff moves. But the tolerances are so tight now that, you know, five, six years ago, we checked them with ham templates so that you, you would get away with a little bit more. But now there's no hiding from it. Yeah. So so it's a new issue, but I, I don't think it's it, – it was um, interesting to see and it's always interesting to see how – the garage figures stuff out and one guy does it and everybody does it. Oh yeah. And, and it worked, but it's, it's a, it's an issue that will be, will be probably easily fixed. Uh, Is OSS scanning the bottom of the cars now? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Fun fact I heard this week. So there are only two other underbelly scanners besides the one NASCAR has one of which GM owns that lives at track house. Hmm. So that's an interesting tool that you can utilize. Cause there's also hundreds of pounds of downforce to be had by, maximizing that underwing and if a car just happens to see that underwing scan three or four times and you're shimming it and you're putting where it wants to be i would imagine makes your stuff go pretty good yeah so i don't think it's coincidence now that gm is building their new tech center right on hendrick property until they move in there they're utilizing space and office space at gm uh, over at track house so the 
up in competitiveness uh, over there is not just coincidental. It's because they are plugged in as closely to the flow of information that GM has to offer as anybody else's. So I'm over talking about umbrellas and tech line, but Friday night, even well before it was nighttime, we had a little bit of uh, what what is it? Poetry, uh, poetic justice, if you will. Something just feels right, and it's something about seeing the three car at the top of the pylon at Talladega that makes you feel warm and fuzzy. We saw that with our good friend Jeffrey Earnhardt. He's about to jump on the show here. He's waiting, chomping the bit with a catfish hanging off his arm at the moment. We're going to let him in here shortly, uh, but. The three car with Larry Mack calling the shots was on the stop for the Xfinity race, and then all hell broke loose on Friday night on the Boulevard truck. Were you there? I was not there, but I was uh, following along on the internet. Uh, Bob Pockers is Bob in Pockers. there, Like When you said the weekend started off comical, my first re- – I went to Bob Pockers on the Boulevard, and that feature that was on Fox, like, I just want a collection of Bob Pockers' faces from – the boulevard because he just his reaction to the fans being out there and interacting that was fun to watch what do you think bob pockers's drink of choice is schlitz cranberry <laughs> cranberry juice give, give me six schlitzes oh, i have no clue yeah. he kept saying beer in that thing yeah is that what it was he that said beer so probably mick ultra i don't know he's yeah it's probably like a bud 55 like Oosh. june bug drinks yeah because you know bob's a runner man he's an athlete he's a certified to this. athlete he's listening to this oh on, yeah on Two times speed. So if you hear this, Bob, tweet us what you drink. Tweet us what you drink, Bob. Say it really it. slow. So it- tweet <laughs> us what you drink, Bob. All right, so that, that's that's an inside joke because I, every time I talk to Bob, he listens to everybody's podcast. Mm-hmm. Ours, DBC, Junebugs, at like 2x speed. Now, br- Bob's brain also works at 2x speed compared to the mere mortals that we all are. I couldn't imagine listening to us ramble at 2x speed. He says it's his job. He's like, it's my job to keep up with that stuff. I, yeah. And, he, dude, he's, he's one of the hardest, he's in the one position. Of the hardest working guys in, in, in the media center. You know who else? Shout out I need to give to. Uh, I saw on the boulevard. Actually, wasn't at bo- uh, on the boulevard on Friday. Well, I wasn't you- even down there. Daryl Mott makes an appearance. Whoa. My good yeah. old podcast co-host on Sunday Money. They dug his ass out of retirement, too. So that so was what? cool to see. What was he doing? Though? He was doing the big one on the boulevard he, on the – He uh, did the flow. He also float. did driver intros for, on Sunday afternoon. So that was pretty cool to see. It was his birthday on Saturday. So shout out to Daryl Mott uh, from Sunday Money. But, yeah, it was cool to see him not buried in horse manure after all. Did you go down to the big one and mm-hmm. check any of that? I, I, I flew down on Saturday morning okay. with, with Dennis Hamlin. So you saw the, the aftermath. I, dude, my favorite my favorite thread on Twitter is the remnants of the in, Talladega infield uh, that Talladega puts on there. Yeah. I always go through, see the old burnt couches and all sorts of remnants that are there. It's always my favorite thread. But didn't hear any big stories come out of the Boulevard. Did you hear any? You hear any good ones? Um, no, I would have been pretty drunk if Earnhardt was on the pole when I was down there. So I was staying in Birmingham. Like I don't drink much. So I was staying in Birmingham, and I was. I mean, had had Jeffrey, our guest here, in a minute had one i would have driven the 50 minutes to the boulevard and then politic to just cancel the cup race next day <laughs> i'd have driven I'd, there from i mean Huntersville. like yeah just i mean let's end something good yeah. let's just leave it how it is but unfortunately he wasn't able to get the job done noah give gragson him, takes give him a dog. buy put him in the chase <laughs> now noah gragson has no filter we all know this and a lot of people appreciate it about him and he also you also know where he stands at all times man won the race climbs a fence gets out he's sponsored by wendy's the next day he said you know what's better than the wendy's biggie bag is taldega boulevard so i wonder i wonder if jeffrey knows i wonder if he's gonna uh got after a little bit on saturday night 
He was okay on Sunday. I saw him. I took his sunglasses off, looked at his corneas. They That's were good hangover food that Wendy's for, there. It is. You get you a, a Baconator. A Baconator, get you tuned right in for 500 miles. <laughs> the Geico 500 at Talladega, just like old Donnie Allison used to. Should we just get into the cup race? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a cup race on Sunday, right? So was I got there? a question real quick th- for the cup race. Do you think do you think that there's more value in going to 400 miles on these races or what? I hate talking about it. But Dude, it's a long one. It's a long race. I don't man. know if the outcome changes, whether it's 300, 400, 500. Yes, it does. I, I, I will argue with you over that. Tell me why. The shorter the race, the more sense of urgency from the beginning, the more chaotic the race is, which... Now, I'm not saying Ross Chastain wins the race if it's a 300-mile race. I'm but saying the, that... the same amount of cars finish? No. You think less? Yes. Because, I mean, we see it with 50 to go every time. I, I disagree with you. It's like we see the same thing with Race the Rain because you never know what's going to end. Give me the give me the cubes. Give me the cubes. Keep sending them. I, dude, I, there'd be a lot no. less people sunburnt on Sunday or less sunburnt. Bro, there was some crispy. There was some there crispy, was some crispy <laughs> race fans on Sunday. <laughs> Looked like a, a bag of pork rinds out of there. I hear the, like, shortening the race thing, and, like, I'm not necessarily someone who is in favor of that. I get it. It's a long race. But there's, there's. I'm not saying I want to short. I don't it. love the argument. I just think that some. I think only special events need to be 500. I think 400 is a perfectly good number. Talladega is special. Yeah, I it is, but it's not Daytona 500. But I mean, if you take one of those two and shorten it, I'm cool with it. But I still think there should be a 500 mile race at Talladega. I think it. Yeah. I just think think it. It would impact the final product. I think it would make it more tense from the drop of the green flag. I'm not trying to <laughs> bad. I'm just asking. Do you think anybody would know the difference? Uh, Other, like like people in the grandstands, but they know the difference. That I they, mean, they would only have know. a second degree sunburns of a third degree sunburn. <laughs> yeah. I think they might be. have maybe two less beers. You know yeah. what they need to invest? You in? think a redneck MPG is one beer per hundred mile, like fifty miles? I said no. two, two. So like if you, bro, it's a minute a lap. That's a that's a beer an hour. There are fans going probably twenty five laps per beer there for sure. You yeah. could take an eighteen Just pack as opposed like, to a twenty-four. Smelling so like you're you're saying that a brewery. You know, in, when you're in the board meeting with the Francis, you're going to pitch beer per beer, mile ratio. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Here's yeah. what wouldn't happen: beer per gallon. Five hundred. Look, I will I will go down with this one as as long as I am uh, living and breathing. The thing that one of the things that makes NASCAR great from a st- fan standpoint is that uh, you can drink all day. Yeah. And like, in, in and you can't race. drink all day, Chuck, unless you start in the morning. <laughs> you know what happened? Because it was 500 miles. What? 41 Chuck's, lead changes. Chuck's going to Lamar. <laughs> That's an interesting number because a lot of people that I heard from, it's like, man, it wasn't a very exciting race. 41 lead changes. Seems like a high number. You can talk about green flag pit stops. I don't. Who cares about green flag pit stops? I'm just so tired about people about it on Twitter all the time. It was a good race. Scored is scored sixth highest on speedway races on Jeff Lux poll. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's a good race. Now, how much of the overall outcome was it a good race? Quote unquote is dictated by the winner of the said race. Uh, I I don't think Chastain's driving traffic to Jeff Lux poll, good or bad, over you know somebody else winning winning that thing. I mean, it was it was a good race. There were moments where you know you had people making mistakes on restarts you had moments where i thought the 12 pushing the nine at one point there they got hooked up nose to tail and it was like it was unbelievable they passed like 10 cars you know and then you have the finish the last lap eric jones makes mistake gets a little too far out front like let me ask you this to that does 
a wreck on the last lap crossing the start finish line at a super speedway race does that dictate no, someone saying whether or not it's good it's not a car the, going across sideways it's not the wreck it Tell is me. yeah maybe it's not the wreck. It is Ross Chastain being fourth and then winning the race because somebody made a mistake. Doesn't have to be a wreck. I don't think Eric made a mistake. He was, he had to block the move from coming from the five, and the five even said in his post race interview he almost got baited in uh, by the by the how big of a run he had to, to to go to the outside. Now, I bet you if Kyle Larson redid that ten more times, he'd probably fake to the top and go to the bottom. But it's easy to Monday morning quarterback it. But I don't think that I don't. I think the only person that really made a mistake was Larson and not going to the bottom there. Um, I think Eric was a sitting uh, – he was a sitting duck being three car lengths out front because he was going to get caught regardless whether he drugged back or if he just stayed wide open. He was a sitting duck there. there That's one thing Austin said after the 500. We were having dinner, and he's like, I couldn't believe once I took the white how much everybody behind me started lifting. Yeah. And, and that's what you saw with the 43. Like he went into three and just cleared everybody by 10. And uh, it's, it's got to be hard to watch in your mirror and work with your spotter to, to keep backed up to those guys. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, it's easy because you're you can't gauge hardly. You don't want to get too you don't want to drag back too much be, because then the guys are going to formulate a run anyway. So it's definitely a tough balance. And and guys who are really good in control races uh, seem to find their way towards the front. We haven't really seen that. You know, we saw a rookie win. There at the 500, to your point, Austin Cindric, and then we have Ross Chastain winning his first super, super speeder race in the as Cup well, Series. In the Cup Series, something I wanted to get into a little bit because it seems like, knock on wood or whatever reason why, um, the the strategy of being conservative and riding close to the back, trying to miss the wrecks, usually works for me to get a decent day. And we were in set up pretty good for between a sixth to eighth place finish, and we were doing it, but. People think sometimes whether well, they're scanning our radios or they're watching on TV and we're just riding in the back the whole time that you're doing nothing. The entire day is is a note-taking session for me because I'm within eyeshot of the leaders. I can see that Bubba Wallace has a rocket ship. Anytime he gets to the outside lane and he's within the first four or five cars, he can drag the lane to the front. I can see guys like Ross not being very good, lead, like have a fast enough car to lead. So when he gets pushed, he's out of shape. Eric Jones had a fast car. Like I can see, and I'm studying tendencies over 490 miles, right? Of who's going to go to the top at what particular time, which OEMs want to work together on the bottom, which ones want to go to the top. Toyotas always seem to hedge their bet towards the top. So when like the pay window opens up with four or five to go, dictating on who's leading the inside lane versus the outside lane and who's where is where I choose to go, whether that's bottom or top. So you know, you're, I'm not just sitting there riding around twiddling my thumbs for 490 miles. Like I am studying tendencies and I'm trying to figure out where the energy comes from at what point of the race. And I've gotten fairly decent at that, but there comes a time where a top five or a top 10 isn't enough, right? Because if you want to win, you have to be up there contending for track position all day long. So did he win a Xfinity race? You won the 2019 Circle K Firecracker 250 at Daytona driving for college racing. Okay. Oh, so, okay. Yes. I, I knew he had smashed a watermelon at a super speedway. Was that like, was Colleague's first win, I think. It's a it's a very it's, memorable uh, post-race activity that he does now, sm- smashing yeah. a watermelon. Well, there's two things that Colleague does well. You know, AJ has up their road course program, 
So you could say Ross learned a lot there, and they have a really good speedway program. So, you know, he learned a lot of his time at college was pretty valuable. Because, I mean, in Coda, he's, who's he battling? AJ. I'm not shocked by Ross Chastain winning like he's winning right now. But before that, his career best NASCAR Cup Series speedway finish was 12th. So Cup Series, yeah. He hasn't been up there contending. You're driving, well, I mean, he was in the 42. But. Yeah, well, I've driven some complete shit boxes, yeah. Merriman, and I've finished in the top ten. So, Hen- like, yeah, big shit boxes. There was a point in time where I thought Hendrick was going to control the race. Um, there was Will, Will Byron won the second stage, followed by his teammate Chase Larson, and Bowman was fifth. And an interesting thing I noticed was an, another thing as I was running, you know, 18th to 23rd, and I'm kind of peeking around to see the leaders. They really controlled the inside lane well, and I've never seen it with the previous car. This car, though, has a tendency of, since it takes cow pressure from the radiator inlet, it's more sensitive to where you are positioned around other cars. So something interesting I saw some Hendrick cars doing was when the outside lane was starting to creep up and get some momentum, you saw the the car that was to like the left front headlight of the of the you know outside lane would like split the bottom lane car and just knock the wake off of the outside lane and it would change the cow pressure and just kill all the momentum and all the Hendrick cars started doing that like if the outside lane was two cars back that second car would split it and knock the air off the front and then then the top lane would fall back a car then the third car would do it so that bogs the motor down basically takes air away from the car it just changes cow pressure so that like the the engine when it's getting, if it's in dirtier, yep. like it, it, it kind of equalizes and it makes power at that particular cow pressure. But if the cow pressure starts changing drastically, that's when the horsepower really starts changing. So less air is getting to throttle uh, body. Yeah. Call, yeah. Right? And it, so. even, it, yeah. So when the, the outside lane's moving, it's getting a ton of cow pressure to lead cars. So it's making the most amount of downforce. Yep. But as soon as the wake off of that inside car breaks, breaks it or pushes the wake outside where the, where it's trying to get some air into the radiator. Um, it'll knock, you know, call it 10 horsepower. And that breaks the momentum up up enough. And I've never seen that. I didn't even see that at Daytona, but I saw that there. And I think guys are going to start utilizing that a little bit more. Um, But you also can't compare Daytona and Talladega because both places race completely different. Handling comes in way more to play at Daytona, especially when we go there in September. Talladega is like running on 485, no handling whatsoever. And does the start-finish line placement adjust any of that it definitely dictates where your winning quote-unquote move would be take place for sure but i think how you get there talladega is more of a track position race where you can make more runs at daytona because the handling guys are starting to lift you can get a middle work in there Uh, but talladega you're really on the wood the whole time so wherever you blend after that green flag stop is kind of where your chances are going to be dictated if you have a shot to win the race and we saw all the chevys come down first the, Fer- the Fords come down second, and then I ended up leading the, the Toyota train. There was like six of us um, coming down pit road under green, and we blended right about in the middle, but those Chevys worked their way to the front, and it was a Chevy battle for the win that ultimately the Melon Man punched his ticket, numero dos. When was the last time that Talladega was repaved? I know Daytona was, what, 2010? I think it was 11. That. That's right. Whenever, no, it might have been. 12 they just repaved it when montoya hit the jet yeah, dryer i think yeah. i was 12 
It was right when I started working in NASCAR that they repaved Daytona. And then they had to repave that section. Yeah, Yeah. well, you can still see the strip there. But like Talladega, was it? uh, It doesn't early two thousands. I don't know. Daytona, but I mean, does that? But does that lend to any of that track position stuff, or is that just? Well, there's a lot of talk in the booth. Bigger, it's wider. Uh There's a lot more. A lot of talk in the booth about how it seemed like handling was a factor in the Xfinity race. Hmm. I mean, they might have to make that a talking point, but like it, it's super wide. I, I think Talladega has more banking than Daytona. Um, so really and truly, besides the bump, if your car handles the bump well and you're not super tied down, your handling's not too bad. I mean, you can just anticipate it w- with your hands. If you hit a bump wrong and you got to pause the wheel onto it, it can get out of shape. But it's really and truly how fast your car is. And at the end of the day, where your pit strategy cycles around to, if you don't make mistakes on pit road and, the minimum amount of fuel you can take is obviously just time relative to the group you come down pit road with. So there was, from my point of view, from obviously just looking at the windshield and then watching some highlights, I thought the race played out. It kind of ticked all the boxes, but people do love to see cars piled up on top of each other on fire. And we didn't get a whole lot of that except for a couple uh, restart crashes. And I think that's part of, I think that's a byproduct of the cup drivers. Now it's, you know, everybody looks at the Xfinity race and they piled up all but like three, right? And there, there is a big discrepancy between guys who have experience and guys who don't. So the guys who do know how to formulate runs. They know how to block. They know how to position their car to not tear anybody up. And then you have the guys who are just kamikazes and trying to go to the front. Where all the cup guys know when to give, know when to take, know when to cover the middle. Uh, and I think when you have 35 guys that, want to get to the pay window and be in the best spot, you're just going to see less wrecks overall. And now, even more so than ever, guys are content to get to that white flag and then let it all hang out because you know you're not going to get passed by the guy that's two laps down. Right. It the always, worst you can finish is 20th or whatever. It always impresses me at the super speedway races when you've got, on a cup day, the two-by-two two or three-by-three, three, just that pack going around for lap after lap after lap, and there's no real mistake mistake being made to cause a big wreck that to me is far more impressive to watch than any type of you know fiery crash because you guys are handling these cars in rush hour traffic it, as Daryl Walter always said it's rush hour track for 200 miles an hour like as, that's impressive yeah so it's way less nerve-wracking three wide middle at, da- at Talladega than it is Daytona Daytona feels so much more narrow and it's bumpier and you, your car's got to handle better Talladega, you're just kind of cruising. You're not trying to stuff the guy because you can get to the back bumper of the car in front of you. You just choose not to because you don't want that guy squirrel you're out of shape or dump him uh, until the risk is worth the reward. And really and truly, I drove my car harder for the last 12 seconds. So I was sliding backwards not to hit the fence, and I drove it all day. So luckily, we got hooked by McDowell, unfortunately, which cost us about seven spots. And I had to keep her out of the fence and grabbed a couple of gears and Tokyo drifted that thing home. Dude, no, that no damage. in car from Kevin Harvick, you were trying to show me yesterday at my house that has no service. It it's like scary to watch. Bro. It's it's got to be nuts with when everything starts wrecking in front of you, especially about, on a straightaway. With about the cars are so light to the trialable, you're literally just like holding the wheel straight, and the car's kind of like dancing. And all it takes is somebody just to breathe on you, and that thing's gonna come around. It's like like we saw with my car, but when when it gets down, like the spotter's calling it out. Seven to go, right? Bottom three wide, tops come with energy. Six, five. And like every lap, you grab that intensity knob, one more. 
one more. And then it, as soon as we come off the travel with like the white, I get, I'm getting goose. I was talking about the white flag is in the air flying and it's like, it fans out and got, and then the, you just start like stuffing the guy in front of you, the guy behind you stuffing like if you have a run, you're not checking. Like you're pushing that guy and you don't know if it's hitting the pace car, the guy in front of him, like you're smashing everybody in front of you for all it's worth. You're getting smashed. You're elbows and assholes at, 193 miles an hour and some and you know you just every other every other time you get a shot you kind of reach down there pull it pull them tight you kind of cinch down a little more and pull them tight again and by the end of the the last lap you can't even breathe because your belts are so tight but the hood flaps flapping in front of you <laughs> hood flaps are flapping it's living man do you pay attention to the flagman or you rely on the spotter uh generally i generally i, I thought the two to go was the white flag and i looked up and i'm like Oh look, we got one more left. So like, <laughs> okay, let me floor it for another whole lap. Uh, but generally, the old Mark Martin yeah. and just lift and pull in. <laughs> no, you just don't lift. I'm out, guys. One time, this was it wasn't this time. It was the last time in Talladega. I think I finished not seventh or something, and we come across a line. I stuck my hand out the window, like waving the guys off, like, all right. And a rock hit me in the finger, and I'm like, ow, ow. <laughs> <laughs> my damn finger was all bloody and. <laughs> but yeah. There's you you just lose like sense of how fast you're going until like when cars are smashing into each other and um, especially when they're spinning out in front of you it gets a little hairy or when you're sliding backwards and then you feel like a passenger but I wheeled it wheeled her home fourteen great hey you know who somebody wheeled it a little bit better than I did this weekend Mr Jeffrey Earnhardt runner up finishing the Xfinity race let's wait he's been waiting back here for twenty minutes let's get him up yeah, I'm gonna get out here he can get in here yeah. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. All right, guys, like we've been teasing about, we have an Earnhardt on the show. Mr. Jeffrey Earnhardt, big runner-up, finished this weekend in the Xfinity race. Thank you for joining Stagging Pennies. Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all having me on. Bef- I don't even want to talk about racing yet because you were just talking about how you went <laughs> boat fishing last night and about sunk the boat. What happened? I'm telling you. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much luck I got whenever it comes to stuff like this, but um, I think I used it all up this past weekend. 
we uh we got out there and ended up banging off some rocks and i guess put a hole in the, the bottom of the boat and didn't know it and next thing i know the whole bottom of the boat's full of water and we were grabbing whatever we could to shovel water out to at least get it on plane. Do you not ha- plane, you don't have any of that flex seal left over from driving around uh, Davis? I guess I'm gonna have to go 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 grab some more of that stuff. I don't know. The old yeah. screen boat. Yeah. The yeah. whole boat made of screen rolled flex seal on it. That's what he need. Man, he, where's Larry Mack at when you need him to go patch that boat yeah. America's crew chief? How cool was it to have his has of his voice in your ear this weekend? It was really cool, man. Uh just seeing like how excited he got about the opportunity and then how much effort he put in to make sure that he was prepared to come and do it and do it right was pretty cool. So how how did it all come together? Because it's almost like this perfect scenario of a black and green forever lawn number three Chevy Camaro at Talladega with RCR, with Larry Mack. So how did it start and how did it all come together? Well, it started, you know, obviously I've been trying to figure out a way to get the opportunity to drive with the, the number three for Richard in the Xfinity Series for quite some time now. And uh, we had had a meeting with him, and he, you know, kind of told us some numbers of what it would take and stuff. And you know, forever long, they their their whole goal has been to let me fulfill that dream of, of running that car. And and they uh, they got the opportunity to financially to to make it happen, and went to Richard. And I think they they told me right after the Atlanta race, they told me that this deal was you know looking like it's going to go through. And I was like, man, like I've got my hopes up so many times on this kind of an opportunity own deals that looked like that was going to happen and it never did so um after like a week they're like man this is this it's actually happening it's it's inked it's gonna do we're gonna do it and i was like are you sure like (laughs) i don't want to get excited and jump up and down yet but um so we get rolling and uh i'm like look we got three weeks to get a fire suit car design and get everything prepared obviously richard was confident that rcr would be able to get a car together in time and um we thrashed to to get the rest of it done but then i got a text from austin he's like he's like uh austin dylan he's like hey he's like i think larry max gonna crew chief this deal and i was like stop like you know like <laughs> I thought he was pulling how, away. How, how much unreal stuff can actually happen here? yeah and uh he's like no he's like he's gonna crew chief and i was like man that's awesome so well i love it so i can see and appreciate guys who because this is what i'm this is what i'm getting at had you not continued to stick it out and grind it out and keep showing up to the racetrack every week and driving the cars you've been driving, this opportunity wouldn't present itself, right? So I wanted to dig in a little bit on just like the ups and downs, the frustrations, the wondering if you're ever going to get a shot to live out your dream. What is that season of life that you might even be currently in now? What's that What's that look like in Jeffrey's world? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir when I'm talking to you, but because uh, you've seen it, you know, firsthand. But, you know, it's just, you know, it's it, – it's not easy, and there, you know a lot of people think because of our last names we get these great opportunities and they come easy and all this, and it's it's not the case. It's a lot of scratching and clawing to find good partners like Foreverlon and uh, Super Puff, Dow Strong. They're the ones that were on the car this weekend that made it possible, and um, just not giving up. You know, not like not taking no for an answer and um, never accepting defeat. You know, no matter how many times you've been knocked down, you just keep getting back up and going at it. And, uh, luckily, you know, things are, are starting to really, you know, look good and, you know, got the races with Sam Hunt and that stuff's running really good. And then this, this deal with Richard and who knows where it's going to go from here. It could springboard us into much more to come, but it's, uh, it's just a matter of not giving up. The, the easy part is just quitting and giving up. Right. So yeah. I, I always like asking people, what was one phone call or one sponsor jumping on board 
that change the trajectory when you were when you were driving K&N cars for DEI back in the day like was there ever one moment where if something didn't fall your way you wouldn't continue racing um i mean i i mean i, I didn't run after the K&N stuff i didn't run for like a year you know i kind of stepped away from nascar and i was like man like you know i don't i don't know what i want to do cuz you know DEI was falling apart and you know they weren't racing no more and i was like man you know, this is something my grandpa worked so hard to build, and I'm sitting here watching it go to nothing. And uh, hell, you're MMA fighting at one point. In time. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, Coyote yeah. Joe's. Yeah, that was, was a one and done though. I'm, uh, stuff hurts a little, little too much, but I mean, honestly, I I probably I I don't know if I would have came back to racing or not. I was working at an automotive shop in Virginia, making two hundred dollars a week, working fifty something hours a week, just changing oil and stuff. And I got a phone call from the guys at FW1, which is uh, Fast Wax, Spray on uh, Wax. And they said, hey, you know, are you interested in coming back racing at all? And who knows? I mean, if if not for that phone call, I don't know if I, I don't know where I would have been, you know. So probably that one. Um, but as recent, um, you know, the Fairvalon deal has been amazing. And they've been on board for, you know, a little over a year and a half now. And just really uh opened a lot of a lot of incredible doors for me to to give me opportunities to chase my dreams. So this past weekend you saw the other side of the coin of driving something good, getting that confidence boost and what you're able to do behind the wheel. So what we've talked about in the show often is like do you put all your chips onto the table of dumping into a five or six race deal with a good Xfinity program, or you've been down the road of a backmarker cup deal. Uh do you go back to try like the that's the the question is, do you go all in for potentially an RCR Xfinity program if you have the opportunity, or do you try to get the Sunday? So at your point in the career right now, like what would you be leaning towards? I mean, I, I, probably an RCR Xfinity deal. You know, like I'm, I, it's like I've told everyone, I'm, I'm not getting any any younger, and our, our sport's full of a lot of young guys. With a lot of money. With a lot of money, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, it's like, you know, you got to – either do it or don't at this point and i like to think that i can compete for a championship if given the right opportunity and you know that's uh that would be my goal is to try and you know find a way to make a full season happen in, in a top tier car to where we can go and race for a championship after all the dust settled on saturday evening did you go to the boulevard oh yeah <laughs> went <laughs> did to you the, celebrate went to the rally green concert then the boulevard yeah. i heard that was i heard that it was, was wild. it was super cool how drunk was noah gregson hammered <laughs> <laughs> uh, i was like uh i was like man you won, he had but... a solid 14 hours of sober up for yeah. the cup race but i can't i dive at her for my question but yeah. you answered the right one i wanted um what'd your old man have to say after that uh just just everybody was proud you know just the fact that like you said that i never gave up and and i've continued to fight and you know i've, I've done it on my own you know i mean obviously with the team of people that i have surrounding me but you know, it's not like I was given a handout to get this opportunity or, or you know, in the past even to, to get these opportunities. It's just been a lot of hard work and, you know, wanting to prove, because I'm sure you've heard it just as much as I have, you know, that you're only there because of your last name or, uh, you know, your dad or whatever that might be. And, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I, I earned it and I, you know, I want to personally feel like I, I belong there and, and that's kind of. That's, I feel like that's what everyone was the most proud about. And I think that and, – and the three guys sitting here talking to you, none of which have said anything besides Skip, but Merriman and I, like in our group chat, 
I think that we we were all so pumped up. I mean, when you were lining up in that last restart, like we were firing texts back and forth, just hoping that Talladega would burn to the ground if Earnhardt, <laughs> if, if Jeffrey Hearn got in victory lane. But it's not because Dale is your grandpa. It's because we know how good of a dude you are and how much you've been grinding collectively just to try to get that opportunity. So that was awesome to see you make the most out of that. I want to hear an embarrassing grandpa story, and I'll lead with one of mine. So I was probably 11 years old at, at Daytona. And every year we made it a point to take all the family down to Daytona to watch dad race. So my grandfather can't really hear. He raced cars, right? He's in New England Auto Racing Hall of Fame, old racer. And there was a golf cart parked behind somebody's car they were trying to get out. And we're playing basketball, football, doing the deal. My grandfather's sitting on the back of the the golf cart talking to some people. And they're like, hey, Corey, jump on the back of that golf cart and, and pull, it up, you know, pull it out of the way of the sky. Sure, no problem. You know, being 11 years old with a lead foot and that golf cart had a hair trigger of a <laughs> of a damn gas pedal. So I like kind of leaned back like, hey, Pep, I'm going to pull this thing. Uh, yeah, he's talking. And did the old and like the golf cart launched. And I dumped my grandfather <laughs> off the back. Dude, he got up and picked me up by like the, the collar of my shirt. My 11-year-old legs were dangling off the ground. He was red. He was so pissed off at me. And I will never forget the look on his face of just so pissed off. Uh, so that's the that's the story that came in mind uh, for, for myself about an embarrassing grandfather story. If you had one yourself, you um, I, I remember when I was a kid, like right there you know, behind the uh, where my grandpa lived, he had a big old pond. And, you know, as a kid, I thought these – catfish were at were like probably the size as a kid i thought they were the size of the ones i catch now but yeah. uh in reality they were probably like the length of my arm we're still a pretty good size catfish <laughs> no big, no no big, big deal, deal. Yeah. it's a three-foot catfish yeah. and uh i think I, I had one on the line or something i was reeling it and it just had a little small dock and like just a little plank that you walked out to to get onto it but um i was reeling i was backing up backing up next thing you know i fell off the backside of it but before I got you know, between the bank and the, the dock, and then I was scared that this catfish was going to eat me because <laughs> here I am, you know, a little scrawny thing that I don't even remember how old I was, but I, I remember I was I was in a hurry to get out of the water. No doubt. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up catfishing because I'm always intrigued by seeing your Instagram post with some monster catfish and your elbow deep in that thing. <laughs> what is a – I've never noodled, nor will you ever see me stick my hand underneath some – Oh, dock come on. Some, no. Or if there's a snake in there, man. You would, if he invited you to go, you wouldn't go. I, I would, I would, Only him. I would promise that it was nothing other than a, other than a catfish. I tell you, what how I'll do you know for eye. certain though? You I, can't I, see I, under I, there. I check with a cane pole. I got a I got a cane pole that I, I stick in there. And but what if it's an alligator? Just taking a nibble at the uh, stick. It's up this far. No way. How about this? I'll go with you and Jesse. And uh, I'll stick my hand in the cooler and hand you another beer while yeah. you guys are in there. <laughs> what's that it feel works like? Too. That works what's too. it feel like when you get bit by a catfish and noodle that sucker out of there? Uh, depends on which one. If it's a blue cat, it, it's like set your hand on the table and then take your fist and just smash it as hard as you can. They're, they're they're like the pit bulls of the lake, man. They got big old meat muscle heads on them. And you and, then, and you do this for enjoyment? Yeah, that's pretty fun. <laughs> you, I mean, you you don't know what you're gonna catch. You let them go or you eat them. We let. I mean, we'll keep some if we want to eat them, but for the most part, we let them go. We'll put a, a zip tie through the tag top fin, tag them to see. You know, if we, I think we caught one last year five times. I was like, dude, you're not real smart. Like, <laughs> yeah, don't jump yeah, on this guy's don't hand. Don't go in the box, man. Merriman I, wants to go. 
Okay. Don't don't he he, he wants to like ask. A, he looks like a noodler himself. He's been talking about it. Call me. I'll go. I do have a question for you. So you know, you've said on Dale's podcast, right, that you know you don't walk in there and ask Kelly or Dale for help for a ride because you want to prove yourself. Now that you've proved yourself, or have you proved yourself enough with this one run to I don't know, go throw the tape on one of their desks, <laughs> be like, hey, that '88 car is not running every weekend. How about you know freeing something up? You know, where does that come into play, or is it still you know you're still out there trying to do this by yourself? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I I like the the path that I've taken so far, and and if I can keep moving forward, and like I said, this year seems like we're we're really getting some traction and, and moving forward and doing good things, you know, running good equipment, you know, showing speed on the track, whether it's in the twenty six or you know this past weekend hopping in the three, but if I can keep you know moving that direction, I'm just going to keep keep doing my deal. At the end of the day, it comes down to money. It's our gonna, whole sport. I was going to save you. I was going to say it for yourself. If you didn't say it, I was just going to answer it for you. What he's politely trying to say is he just needs to find another 130 grand to race a good car. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, that's that's yeah. what it is, right? Because, I mean, and your your career, like a lot, I mean, Alex Bowman, uh, I mean, the, the list goes on and on of guys who have gotten opportunity and better equipment and showed what they're capable of. You're only as good as the horse you're sitting on, man. Look at the guy who won the cup race this weekend. Yeah. Look at you Ross guys were teammates, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Ross. Yeah, so prime example. that's a great transition. So, like seeing a, a guy like Ross, who has grinded equally as hard, driven driven similar for the same teams, you were teammates over at Johnny Davis. Does it give you a little more confidence seeing Ross have that success he's having? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think a lot of it's timing. You know, stuff falling your way and and opportunities presenting themselves at the right time and. That's that's kind of where I feel like I'm at right now. Is like, you know, I'm, I'm seeing these opportunities and, and doors open that are that are really falling into place. And obviously, this past weekend got a ton of exposure and and a lot of good good stuff came out of this past weekend that I think is only going to springboard into more sponsorship opportunities, more racing opportunities, and just uh, just setting that setting myself up for for a, a good opportunity to go and, and chase that dream to to run for a championship and and then you know who knows after that if it's staying in xfinity like elliot sadler and run that or going up to the cup series who knows where where the future goes but right now that's that that that, that would be my main focus you got a lot of guys rooting for you partially because of what your last name is and who your grandfather was right but i hopefully people listen to this show and root for you just because you're a damn good dude but before i let you go i gotta ask you a question two questions i asked you <laughs> an embarrassing mo moment with your grandfather, but I've been asking guys, what is your most embarrassing moment at the racetrack? Oh man. Um, probably at Dover when I looped it coming to pit road and backed it in the sand barrels and they threw a red flag. I, I think I've, I've upset a lot of cup guys doing that or the big time cup guys. Uh, I, I was driving the 33 Hulu car and I just downshifted at the same time I came across Bro. the transition and, Around she went, and I was like, well, here we go. Dude, that thing sneaks up on yeah. you. I mean, don't feel bad. Matt Kenseth did the same thing, and he's a cup yeah. champion. Yeah, right. And in my opinion, not a first-bout Hall of Famer, but eventually he will be. <laughs> did you ever see what he did at Martinsville that time? Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Question number two. It, it's an inside joke. Oh. <laughs> Question number two. He's looking at you like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, should I ask? Or... <laughs> no, no, when he trashed Joey, he, he brought that up. Oh, like four, oh, seven, gotcha. Four, five times. Question number two. If you had to pick one car. And one racetrack to race at the race the rest of your life. What do you what do you pick? Black three Talladega. Yeah, probably <laughs> probably black three at Talladega. Now Cup car, street stock, the two thousand one or the two thousand. I mean, 
do we really do we really expect Jeffrey to be like, oh, I want to drive a F one car at Spa? <laughs> no, it's Black Bear Talladega. No, yeah. that's why I'm asking. We got to hear yeah. it from the cat's I, mouth. I, I would say I would say that hot rod I had this past weekend at Talladega. Man, I, I, I want to run that one back. I, I mean, I, I came so close and and didn't win it. So well, we all like to see you run it back. Hopefully, get another shot at that thing and. Hopefully uh, you can get the stuff put together and make it happen again. I'm going to ask question number three, and I just made this up on the fly. Would you rather noodle a crocodile or have a chance to – actually, let me ask you this. Just noodle any catfish, or you can noodle a crocodile and get a chance to race the Black 3 at Talladega again. A chance. I'm, go- I'm going with the crocodile. <laughs> I mean, you can race one-handed, right? Let's get some armor. Yeah. I think so. I think you with a sh- with a sequential, yeah, just get you, you could, some velcro yeah. or something, and like stick your knee and then yank it back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, that was a terrible would you rather question, but yeah. Nonetheless, guys, that's Jeffrey Earnhardt. Hopefully, let's give him a round of applause. Solid yeah. run, runner up at Talladega in the Xfinity race this week. Jeffrey, thanks for jumping on stacking pennies with us. Yes, sir. Appreciate you having me on. Oh yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash match. Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Gotta love me some Earnhardt. Now it's pit time for Pit Road. Boats and Woes, front tire changer for Austin Cindric, who suffered a bit of cosmetic damage. So how did you guys get that thing tuned up, and how was it after that? It's so hard to fix them now because it's all like Kevlar, and it's not metal, and you're just it's, – it's so much different when they come down. Can you add a fender back to it? No, you can't add anything back. You can just bare bond tape. Okay. So you just do your best, but uh, and especially right over, over top of the tire – when it's compromised, you have a good shot of cutting something down, cutting, like putting something over top of it. It falls down on top of the tire. But yeah, it looked like a porcupine. They were running screws up through the fender to the hood because you don't want to run them down towards the tire. So they, yeah, like if he would have missed the pit box and I would have ended up on the hood, it would have been bad. Mm. Flesh wounds. Yeah, it's minor flesh wounds, though. But you know who didn't have a bad day? Who? The five car. They were P1. Were they on pit road? It's always hard for Talladega. But what's the matter? What's the matter if you're top of the board? On pit lane and not top of the board at the end of the day. It, well, I mean, we should win something. For pit crew guys, that's what you want to be. What I, you like, mean? we didn't. Pride? So, it's very hard to pit those cars. Speedway cars. Yeah, like, my right front wouldn't come out, so it was kind of more of, like, a weight pull. But some guys, you know, could. The five car obviously could, and your race winner was second on average. 
Those guys still cranking off, but he almost screwed himself. How? Speeding on pit road. Rosswick did? Ross sped on pit road early. He actually beat Brad for the lucky dog there. End of the first stage. The caution came out early. Brad was kind of... it was act- The race was getting pretty spicy. Brad trying to get back by the one car. And um, and that was a probably a big that was probably a big difference because with the limited amount of of, of cautions there and just the long green flag runs, this if if Ross doesn't get that lucky dog there, he might be he might be buried to lap down the rest of the day. Well, the, I mean, you if you don't get the lucky dog, you have to wave, and then you're not on the same fuel strategy, and and, and it could really blow your whole race. Uh, so yeah, you, you definitely want to get the lucky dog instead of taking the wave around at a super speedway because you want to pit when. You want to pit and get their full fuel in to get on your tire strategy so you can keep that track position. But it just shows how important <clears throat> track position is with the six car. Like he, he is the guy that's won the most at Talladega other than Dale Earnhardt. And he was trying to get everything he could. I think you got the clip of, of Dale Jr. Talking about him speeding, uh, coming to pit road, but it's because he knows how important it is to jump as many Fords as he can. Well, obviously nobody knows that better than than Junebug. I think uh, Keselowski smoked both the fronts on the way to pit road, and both times Keselowski spun was under green, as well as the first segment of pit road. So, if you look I, back at it, though, he lost the Daytona 500. He lost the lead of our lane on pit road to to us. Like he know he's smart enough. I've worked with him long enough that he understands that stuff and knows that he wants to be leading that lane so he can control the race or at least be as far up as he can. So. But the the Fords are fast. The Chevys won the race. But I think the most interesting take from this weekend, takeaway from this weekend, is the Gibbs camp and the front changer on the 11. What about? So Blake Houston, the the normal front changer on there, him and his wife had a baby girl. So they plugged in Jackson Gibbs, Appalachian State football player, also son of J.D. Gibbs, which uh, grandson of Joe Gibbs. Right. But which is cool about that is – Obviously, everybody who knew J.D. knew how awesome J.D. was, one of the best people in the garage, and the 11 car was his car. So when when that that's kind of where the one lug nut, this new pit stop deal, has opened up for, for some storylines because from what I understand, he's only been doing pit stops for six months. So he's a grinder. He works hard. Uh, you know, the, I know the pit coach over there very well, Brian Holland. He's got nothing but great things to say. Uh, about about this kid and he says he's a lot like ty the work he puts in and he just wants to be a picker guy i mean he could do whatever he wants but he, he's passionate about about doing this he says he might do a hundred freaking pit stops a week this kid but because of the one lug nut and the differences on pit road you know before at on a five lug nut stop before he gets a, even a shot to be a backup on the 11 it's probably three years of, of training so to be able to do six months of training and jump in and, and go beyond that car and hell he had Obviously, we couldn't pull our tires or anything, but he had, you know, faster right fronts than half of the half of the garage. Like he did a good job. So that's that's really cool to plug into that caliber of a team for him to have the opportunity to do that. And just a really cool story. It would have been cool if they won. That would have been <clears throat> really cool. But just getting that opportunity is is cool in and of itself. But not any Tom, Dick, and Harry can come in there and learn how to change a NASCAR tire in six months. No, no, and he's a—I mean, he's an Appalachian State football player. He's a—he's a, you know, more athletic than I am, but uh, that's pretty low bar. Uh, hey, look, how big is he? I don't know. I know this—he had a badass mustache, and that's worth something. <clears throat> Listen, if you 
Yeah. His pit coach himself told me this when he was my pit coach. There is a certain amount of responsibility that comes with wearing a mustache. Yes. So if you're going to wear that mustache, you better be a badass. He said it to me one day at pit practice, and I sucked, and he made me go shave it off. <laughs> he made me go to the bathroom and shave my mustache off because I didn't do very good. Accountability. Hey. Got to love Accountability. It. So then once my man that was on the front of the 11 comes back, what – does he, is he just reserve? Does he go on the weekends and wait, if somebody gets hurt? Like, how does that work? Man, I'm not sure, like, where he fits in each week with their rosters. Uh, obviously, Talladega is, like, the one place where you can get away with putting a rookie in. And it, it won't hurt you too bad. There, there's a little bit more leeway there. But with the amount of people that we go through with, like, like look at what the 23's gone through, right? They've had three loose wheels in five weeks. Three different tire changers have had loose wheels. So if you have a, a wheel fall off, which like, look at this weekend, Dover's notorious for loose wheels and everybody's going faster and pushing the bar. So your backups, it's, it's like the NFL, your backup quarterback is as important as your quarterback because it, it's next man up. They could be in for, and, and not in for a week, in for four weeks. That's a, that's a big chunk of your season. So I don't know where he fits in, but being able to have guys like that, that you develop and develop quickly that you can rely on to put in a situation to be on a house car like that is important next man up next track up is the monster miles so we're going to break down some dover right after this all right we're headed to one of my favorite race tracks of all time with also one of the coolest trophies on the schedule miles the monster there at dover motor speedway i've got one on my mantle from the canon series it's one of my prized possessions but we have some e-NASCAR this week. What do we got? Yeah, so this week, which actually we film on Tuesdays, so obviously this airs on Wednesday. So when you're listening to it, last night the e-NASCAR iRacing Coca-Cola Series was in Dover. Uh, but heading into Dover, Nick Ottinger's a points, uh, points leader there. And then the next race they have is at Kansas. But something cool, Corey, you know, we're talking about doing trackside live at Darlington Raceway. At Darlington in the Midway, uh, there will they will have a uh, eNASCAR Coca-Cola Arcade uh, set up there, so fans can go experience a little bit of this iRacing at track. Have you seen it out at the Midway? Have you been and seen that spot? Dude, it, it's it's, sweet. A, it's a badass setup, and you can go. Uh, they've got simulators. You can you can run races, compete against other fans, interact, learn about the Coca-Cola iRacing series. So they have they have play seats or sim seats with the iRacing track. Mm -hmm. The the one. With that it's stationed at or whatever, but they also have the NASCAR. Don't they have like the heat or what's? Yeah, they called? got they the, got different video. I mean, they're they're showcasing that? all the different video games that you know where you can race. I guess it is it is super cool. And a little birdie told me we might potentially be doing stacking pennies live from Darlington. So if you're over there on Sunday afternoon, who knows? We might be popped up. It's a fun a stage. They've got hype stuff going on. One fifteen, I believe. Ooh, is that is that the thing? So. Yeah, I believe that's about the time that we'll be up there. So you know. Mm -hmm. Love to see y'all out there. But, yeah, iRacing is pretty cool. There, Dover is race 6. Kansas in two weeks will be race 7. Uh, so check it out, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, basically every other Tuesday on NASCAR's YouTube channel. Well, you know, in real life, we're going Cup Series racing Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Going to Dover. Now on SMI track, I wonder if there's any difference. Logo. Logo Logo's a little different. Logo's different. I feel like the track will still be the same, though. I think so. I think this will be a mile. Still gnarly. Still concrete. concrete. Yeah. Jinx. You owe me a Coke. 
I will not owe Chuck a soda because there's some free Coke in the fridge out in the hall. So we went down to one race over at Dover. Alex Bowman was the sole winner there last year. I do believe that Dover thrives off of one race. There are certain markets that we should go to twice. I don't believe Dover, Delaware is on that list. So going there, going there once, hopefully the fans come out in droves, but that also gives you only one opportunity a year to win a Miles the Monster trophy. And Alex Bowman was the one that got it done last year. Who does it this year? Hendrick one, two, three, four last year. Dude, they annihilated the field too. For sure. And I also I've always said that Dover is like the exaggeration of how much arrow grip you make, how much downforce you make, how much mechanical grip you make, and how much horsepower you have. Like it puts the magnifying glass on that. And if you're a little bit off, it makes for a long ass day well, at Dover. What are the lo- what do you think the loads are gonna do to these cars? I mean, the uh, loads at this place are nuts. So do you think we're gonna have part failures or No, there was a next gen test last year with Cole Custer. And he did like, well, he raced a cup race the day before, then they tested it on a Monday, and he ran like a thousand laps or something. So, if if there's one thing to be true to be said about the next gen car, knock on wood, there has not been a lot of parts failures uh, from dealer provided products with us, transaxles, shocks. Like these cars can take a beating and keep on ticking. So this is also though, to your point, the first true test because wheel loads at Dover are some of the most high we go to charlotte's one of the also one of the big ones that you see high peak loads i mean you're looking at somewhere around a 32 to 3500 pound right front spike when that thing lands off the banking so this will definitely be a test of suspension as well as driver as well but hopefully we have a decent decent uh decent day because another factor at dover because it's concrete they have all the little cuts in the racetrack to keep the concrete from breaking those joints really upset the car so dampers and, and your shock package is really important there if not it will rattle your teeth out like a damn basketball like dale jr's favorite saying it feels like i got four basketballs underneath this thing i've had a day i've had many days where it feels like basketballs are under my hot rod so hopefully they don't feel like that this weekend to your original question william byron's gonna win this race think so yeah going for three chuck who you got i like the hendrick pick um i don't know if byron's my guy i'm I like Bowman though. Like I, I like Bowman there, but I don't know. I, I'm going Hendrick, and I'm having a hard time picking out of the Hendrick drivers. I don't think it's Chase though. Yeah, I don't. Man, it's hard to bet against Hendrick or Chevy right now. But for some reason, like I'm going to go with a sleeper pick here if I had to. Can I guess who you think you're going? Yeah, you're going to pick Almirola? No. Okay. I I for some reason the 43 tends to run good here. I don't know why. And I think Eric Jones has been pretty good, and this is kind of a driver track, and he can get on the wheelies. One at Darlington, and I feel like those guys are pretty good right now. If they can keep them in contention on pit road, I don't know what this. I think it's going to be really hard to pass. Suarez' first Xfinity win came at Dover, and 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 that's another one I was thinking that's, about. That's who my sleeper pick is, and and Trackhouse is making a lot of mechanical grip and downforce. Like I mentioned, that underbody scanner lives at their place, so they will be tuned up and ready to rock. I do look at Suarez to be the. Dark horse pick. Another one I look at, not so much dark horse pick and pretty low-hanging fruit is Kyle Larson. Uh, he is super good on concrete racetracks. He was almost dominant in the 42 car anytime he went to Dover. Really exciting to watch there, as well as he won last year at Nashville, relatively the same surface. Uh, Nashville Con- concrete Speedway. Kyle. Concrete Kyle. It's like concrete, right. the new concrete Carl. Hey. Uh, my man is good, and he will be looking to be uh, the next multi-time winner this week. 
to add his name next to the list of Roswick Chastain and William Byron. So that's who my pick is. And we will see who conquers the monster this weekend. So now, Janie, it's time. Janie! Time for Penny for your thoughts. What we got? All right, Janie, we had some good ones this week. What do we got? We've got a couple in-depth ones. They brought some good questions this week. The first one comes from Superhero to Five, and he says, Why did NASCAR decide to stop allowing cars to go to the garage to be repaired and come back onto the track later in the race? Doesn't that help smaller teams to get more points and make it make sense when they spend all that money to race? Man, I think the underlying motive for that was just safety because I mean, there was, they would just cob cars together after they wrecked just to get it out on the track to run around and get some free points. But they were sheet metal screwing bumpers to each other, just cutting the front bumpers off. So those things were just super liabilities riding around to where if your stuff's wrecked bad enough or you can't get it fixed in five minutes, you probably should park it the rest of the day. Anyways, I'm all for the five minute clock because they have fixed some of my stuff and made me ride around for 150 miles the rest of the day, and it is miserable. Another thing, we used to bring carts full of parts, and that was something they wanted to get rid of, body parts and suspension carts, and there were there's probably 75% less just carts that are brought to the racetrack that are in the way, running people over and clogging up the garage. Our next one asks, so at Super Speedways, working with other drivers is a must. Being a Spire car, do the other Chevrolets help you or do they ignore you? What would it take for them to pay attention to you at a Super Speedway? It makes me mad sometimes when they just completely ignore the little teens. Well, it's part of the deal. And also, over the course of the race, you find out whose car is fast, which cars lead the line well. And the car that qualifies 33rd probably doesn't tow the outside lane or bring the inside lane very good by itself so i think really and truly it doesn't matter matter so much about your oem teammate as much as you got to work with somebody who has the fastest car to position yourself the best possible way at the end of the race so there's not much camaraderie besides the hendrick cars working with the hendrick cars the track house cars working with the track house cars and the rcr guys working with those guys beyond that it's pretty much every man for themselves so we know that you get a say in what your Darlington car looks like, but Kelly wants to know, do you get a say in what your regular car looks like in the design of it? Sometimes. Uh, I didn't get a say so much this week in that Ray's Energy Hot Rob, but if, uh, you know, I pretty much design the Schluter car every year. I have a big say in the Built Bar car every year. They have some pretty strict brand standards they try to keep too, but at the end of the day, I feel like I'm as picky as Junior. Like if you're the one driving it, you want the stuff to look cool and you want people to recognize you by your cool looking cars. So lucky and luckily enough, I have some pretty sweet looking Spire Motorsports hot rods ride around every week, especially that throwback scheme. That thing is money. That's all we have. That's all we got. Thank you guys. And obviously we covered Penny Stacker of the week earlier in the show, uh, but there was plenty more penny, penny stackers. There was people all over the track yelling, stacking pennies, which always makes me feel good. Also makes Ryan Flores feel good as well. So we appreciate y'all's support. And I don't ask you for much. Besides just asking to buy every t-shirt that's on CoreyTheJoy.com racing slash merch or listen to the podcast or subscribe, like, and follow and give us five stars. But what I am asking you, and I need you to do something for me, guys, I need you to go vote for me to get into the all-star race because my chances of making it through the open are fairly slim. Not saying I'm not going to try, but I need your help to get me into the all-star race via the vote. You know what I'm going to vote for you? Who? 
You know why I'm going to vote for you? Why? Because you've been my friend for 15 years, Juan, but also because we're already locked in. All right. <laughs> because I'd beat y'all in the open. I'd love kicking your ass in the all-star race. Nothing I'd love better on a Sunday night. I would love to be able to have a chance to ride around and try to win a chance at a million bucks. I got one better yet, Chuck. Oh. If the fans vote me into the all-star race, I will buy each one of them a beer at an undisclosed location eventually. And, yeah. I like beer, so y'all should go do that. Yeah, we'll figure that out if and when you guys vote me in the all-star race to give me a shot. to Now, I will do my best to try to win it the open. But it's hard. Racing's hard, man. What's easier is for you to go click this link and go shoot me a vote. This face. Click it. Send me the all-star race. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. Give us five stars. Review. Thanks for listening. Going to the Monsters this week, 3 o'clock, FS1 on Sunday. Be there or be square. And thank you all for stacking pennies.